We are in First John as we continue in our series uh, that we are calling Follow Me. As we see very clearly what it looks like for true believers, true Christians to follow Jesus. And so uh, this is a book for some that is incredibly scary. <laughs> and for others, it is incredibly assuring. It just depends on which side you fall under. Uh, now the Holy Spirit will let you know uh, with some good teaching, hopefully, uh, which side you fall on. But John uh, tonight is going to teach us in verse 11 through uh, 18 of chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3. He's going to teach us that true believers, they love one another. We've been walking through chapter 3, and the whole context of this chapter has been uh, what it means to be a child of God. You see, there were false teachers who were teaching the Ephesian church where John is writing to. They they are teaching them that you... um, you're not really saved, that Jesus didn't really die for you. Remember, they were talking about this uh, this Gnostic belief that Jesus didn't really come to earth. He didn't really die. He was more of an angelic figure, and so then his death and resurrection meant nothing because it wasn't really blood, and it wasn't really uh, a bodily resurrection. And so they're questioning everything, and John's saying, here's how you know that you've been born again, that you are children of God. And so last week, uh, we talked about how we don't sin, uh, not that we don't ever make mistakes, but that we don't willingly go out and sin like we used to, uh, many of us in our old lives. And so tonight we're talking about loving one another. Now just saying that, and this is specific to loving the church or other believers, how would you say that, that you do when it comes to this? Like, would you say, yeah, I love the church. I love other believers, and I show them, and I'm patient with them, and I'm kind to them, and I treat them well. Like, I'm known for that by others. They would say, yeah, they love well. Do you love the church? Or do you find that you're constantly struggling? You see hypocrites, you see uh, believers who aren't living up to God's standards, and you're frustrated all the time, and you treat them like that frustration there's uh, probably more so than ever uh, a group that would call themselves Christians that, that seems to be growing that ha- has tried to separate people or God's church from a relationship with God. And saying this, um, they, they see that there are hypocrites in the church and they, they are negative towards the church. And so it's become increasingly popular to say, you know what? I want a relationship with God, but I don't want a relationship with the church. I'm going to go worship God, maybe out in nature, or I'm, I'm going to spend some time with him. It's just me and God. It's all good. Uh, but I don't want anything to do with God's people. And it's true. Like, I'm not going to make excuses. Uh, you know, we have never done a very good job, <laughs> uh, unholy people, of representing a holy God, right? But this is, this is not... Um, this is not a good trend that we have. Let me just read to you. I, I saw this the other day. There's an article on Facebook, and underneath this article were the comments section. And someone that I, I know and love dearly was talking to this other guy and kind of trying to talk him off the ledge a little bit. The article was entitled, Why Millennials Are Leaving the Church, and they were trying to tell us why. Of course, I'm sure it was written by a millennial, so that's always fun, right? But it, it, there was underneath in the comment section, there was a guy who was saying this about this article. He said, it's not just this generation. This explains how I felt when I left the church. The message is right. The delivery is wrong. You serve the church to serve the Lord, and it, being the church, seems to be oppressive and inflexible, one-sided. If you don't believe exactly like we say, you're going to hell. 
And then they were kind of talking to each other off the ledge a little bit, whatnot, whatnot. And this is here in Salina, right? And, and, and then later on down, he wrote, I'm honestly done with organized religion. Again, you can't really separate organized religion from God's people because who, <laughs> who, who is setting things up? And I'm not going to say organized religion is, is wonderful, but you, you, you can't really separate them too much. He said, I still believe, pray, and do right by others, hopefully. I grew up in three different churches. I've been baptized, forced to speak in tongues, and even pray to the followers, not my God. Me and God roll solo. That's it. Don't, have you ever met someone who felt that way? They say, me and God roll solo. I've had some bad experiences with the church. Me and God roll solo. And this is common in the Christian church as an accepted group of people. We say, okay, well, you've been hurt. So until forgiveness comes, until God gets a hold of your heart, just sit over here on the sidelines. You could still be a Christian. And I'm going to tell you straight up. Last week I said, I and John, more important than I, would tell you, you can't truly say I love God if you don't hate sin. And tonight I'm going to tell you, and he's going to tell you, you can't say I love God if you hate his followers, if you hate his church. Uh, you can't say, Ryan, I'm going to praise you, but I'm going to cuss Tara. I say, listen, I might serve you. Uh, I might hang out with you, but like things ain't going to be good between me and you. You cannot praise me and cuss my bride. And what does Jesus say the church is? His bride. Who did he die for? His bride. Who does he love? His bride. So you can't separate them. And here's the thing. Most of us, most of us tonight wouldn't say, ah, I hate the church, right? You're here at a Wednesday night Bible study. You're probably doing okay with the church. Like you, you are the church, right? You know, but I would say that most of us struggle with hating the church in a different way via our indifference, via our ignore, ignoring of the one another commands, love one another, bear one another's burdens. We hate the church, not that we don't go and are part of the church, but we don't serve the church. We don't live in community with the church. We are around other believers, but we don't take care of other believers. We don't serve them. I think in Jesus' eyes, he'd say, indifference or hate, they're both outside of love, not good. So tonight, as we walk through this, I want you to analyze your heart a little bit and think about how you feel about other believers and know this, that it's going to tell you more about yourself than it is the people that you don't like. It's going to tell you more about yourself because God has set things up in such a way because he loves people. He set things up in such a way that he knows every person in this room, he knows exactly how you feel about him based on the way that you feel and treat the people around you. And you can't escape that reality. He's tied them together. He's linked them together. Are you having fun yet? You can tell this is going to be a good, a good night. It's going to be good. All right, let's jump in. Verse 11. Remember, context is how to know if you're a child of God, if you are born again spiritually. That's the context. He says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So here's the basic command, to love one another. Of course, it's elsewhere in Scripture. But the first thing we see is that loving others completes the message. Completes the message. Now, big picture-wise, doesn't really complete the message in the sense that when we see Jesus face-to-face, things will be completed. But to some degree, it completes this message. This word message 
the Greek is angelica. It is the word for angel or messenger, that this is the announcement. So he's saying, from the beginning, you've had this announcement. You've heard this from the beginning. That we should love one another. That we should. We don't always, but we should love one another. Now here's what John is saying to these false teachers. Two things. Number one, church in Ephesus, you need to know, they don't love you. They don't love you. These people who are, who are saying these things about Jesus, they don't love you. They're, they don't love you. But number two, he's saying, <laughs> false teachers, how can you preach a message about love if you're going to treat the Ephesian church like junk? How can you justify a message about love if you're going to be mean to these people? He said, it just don't, it just don't add up. Because the way you treat people affirms this message that you have. You say, well, why in the world is it so crucial that love be at the core, at the center of the Christian faith? Because from the beginning, we've known that love, because God is love, because God has love for us, love is the foundation, it's the structure, it's the walls, it's the capstone, it completes it, it's the beginning, it's the end, it's the middle, it's the whole nine yards. God's love for us that translates into our love for one another. Let me ask you this, why in the world, if God, okay, we're out of space, we're out of time, let's just push that aside for a second, God, before he created any of this, it's just him, Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's got, he is love. He loves himself. Father loves the Son. Son loves the Father. Holy Spirit. Like they all love each other. It's great. Three in one. Why in the world would they create, or God create, humans? If he already got enough love, if he's self-sustainable, it's not like God needed someone to love him in order to like feel good about himself, Right? So why in the world does he even create people? I think, honestly, the only logical conclusion would be to share what he has. To share the love that exists in himself. He is love, and so he gives love. Look at the story, right? This whole message that we're talking about, this announcement is that God created us in what? He created us in love, in his image, but because he loves us. And then even when we sinned against him, he pursued us. He pursued Israel in what? He pursued them in love. Even when they rejected the prophets, they rejected his law. They didn't live up to his standards. So then what does he do? He sends his son. Why? Because he loves us. And Jesus lived how? He lived a life of love. And he died, why? For love, for our sin. He loves us and he rose by what? By love. And then he offers to you and I an invitation into this story of love. That you receive his love. That you now become part of this story. And the way that love is completed is when what you have received now is flowing through you. You see, God by nature is so powerful that if you even have a taste, this is why we know if you love one another, this is why we know you've received something good, right? Because by nature, God's love is so powerful, if you taste it, it has to flow through you. It has to. That you can't sit back on a pew and say, I know God's love and hate the person next to you. It can't happen. How many of y'all have been seeing over the last several years that California has been going through all kinds of drought, right? 
all, all kinds of water issues out there. And then recently, you've seen uh, like the Oroville Dam has had all kinds of issues, right? They got all these flooding issues. And if you see pictures, man, the water, (laughs) it's all over the place. It's going over the dam. It's going all around. It's created new channels, all kinds of stuff. Now, anytime you've ever seen water rise and a dam trying to hold it back, you know what? That the pressure of that water, the force of that water, that the amount of that water, if it breaks through that dam, is it just going to be like a little cartoon where like a stone pops out of the dam and there's like a little just a little little tiny stream flowing, right? Like a little water pistol just coming. No. No. If I told you, hey, the dam is going to break, but the water is mostly just going to get to the top and just kind of sit on top of that dam. That's going to be it. Would you say, yeah, that's reality. That's probably going to happen that way. No. When the dam breaks, the water just... It's going to create new channels. It's going to create new rivers. It's going to go over. It's going to go over the side. It's going to tear that thing up. <laughs> and that's what happens when dead, spiritually dead human beings, when dry bones are, when life is breathed into them. The love of Christ hits you and revelation of what Jesus did on the cross and how his love is so amazing. When it hits you, it doesn't just hang out inside of you. It doesn't just get to you and say, oh, (laughs) I broke through, now I'm staying here. No, it it flows through you. And this is the power of God's love. It creates new channels, new avenues to reach the rest of the world. This is how God says, "This this is the circle of my love, that it goes through you to others. That's my will. So when you love one another, you're not just fulfilling a command. You're seeing a whole message that you've been invited into now complete itself as his love spreads throughout the world. Let me ask you this before we move on. If the only evidence of your salvation was in the way that you loved, the way that you treated other believers, how much evidence would there be that you're saved? Like just Christians, like just take this as face value. If God said, the way I know that you are saved, strictly by the evidence right now, this week in your life, the way that you love other believers, would you feel very secure standing before the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings? How did Jesus say that the world would know that we belong to him? Two things. Our unity and our love for one another. Our unity and our love for one another. Verse 12. He said we should not be like Cain. So he doesn't reference Old Testament folks at all. But here we go. Now he's talking about Cain. This is kind of out of the blue. Genesis chapter 4, for those of you who, who uh, haven't seen that story in a while. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. All right, this is a happy-go-lucky couple verses here. Second thing we see is the path of hate. He said, don't be like Cain, who was evil and murdered his brother. Who murdered him because his deeds were evil or his his behavior, his uh, works, 
In some translations, instead of deeds, you'll see his works, which is important. Uh, here we'll see in a second. We're evil. And he said, don't be surprised when the world hates you. So he's saying Cain is a representation of, of the world. Like there was Abel, who was righteous, and there was Cain. Now, for those of you who don't remember the story, here's what happened. So Adam and Eve, they get together, they hook up, they got a little, couple little boys, uh, Abel and Cain, they grow up. Cain, he is a farmer, right? So he, he's digging in the dirt, he's planting some uh, plants, some, some gardens, whatever, he's doing his thing. And then you've got Abel, who is a rancher, and he and Cain, brothers, they, they decide to bring an offering before the Lord, now, what this looked like, we don't know. This was before the sacrificial system as we know it. But it says that, that um, Cain brought an offering of produce, right? And, and so Abel brings an offering of uh, the firstborn of his flock and the fat portions of it. And then without really explanation, if you're just reading Genesis 4, it says that he, he rejected Cain's offering, but he accepted Abel's. And if you're just reading Genesis 4 and you don't know about this passage, you can only assume, like, what happened? Why would he receive one and reject the other? And John's telling us, of course, after that, then Cain gets mad and he goes out in jealousy and he kills his brother Abel. And then God rejects him again and says, get on out of here. And then he runs and he starts a new life and so on and so forth. But why in the world would he reject Cain? Well, John's saying... Because his deeds or his works were evil. So John said something in his heart wasn't right when he's trying to offer his offering to God. Something went astray somewhere because he is a child of the evil one, the devil. In other words, he represents and he is in line with the way that the devil acts and the devil behaves. He tried to offer something to God, but whether he didn't have the right heart, uh, whether he did something evil along the way, we, we don't quite know. But something about it was evil. Something about it was evil. And something about Abel's was righteous. And you know the world, (laughs) in its evil, hates being around people who are righteous. They hate it. Because they know they can't manufacture righteousness. Right? when When you're evil, you're evil. And you might mock, you might be able to trick for a while, but you can't mock God. They hate it when people have a pure heart and they come before God and people attack that. And that's what Cain did to Abel. And Cain, having a chance to turn from his sin, doesn't. And it leads to jealousy and it leads to hate and it leads to murder. You say, okay, whatever. I love God and I think I love people. But I just don't understand why they got that raise. I work harder than him. I've been here longer than him. Why did he get a raise and I didn't get a raise? I love God and I love people. But I just don't understand. They got three or four kids and they're not even trying. I got fertility issues. I can't have one kid. I don't understand. Why, why are they married and seem to have a decent spouse? And I've been trying for a long time trying to honor God with my life, and I can't, can't find that right relationship. I don't know what's going on. Why do they get it and I don't? Well, why, why do they get to live? They've lived all kinds of crazy lifestyles throughout the years, and, and, and so-and-so died. And in the Christian community, those kinds of questioning have, in general, been accepted. 
And what I want to say is, you know what? (laughs) You know that's the path of hate. You know that's the path, that that's the road that Cain was on. Hey, why? Why did Abel's offering get accepted? And he said his face fell flat is what Genesis 4 says. He was ticked off. So jealousy leads to hate, leads to death. In this case, murder. Some of us are are on that path and we're wondering why are we having such a hard time loving our neighbors and it's because we're spending so much time trying to get on the path of of Cain and God's saying, you can't love others. You can't be on this narrow road when, when you're trying to switch lanes and live out of jealousy and frustration and bitterness and resentment that's ultimately leading to hate. Some of us are trying to switch lanes, and it's two very clear paths, and you can't switch lanes. I shared the story a long time ago. Um, Tara and I, when we were in Virginia, uh, we went to go see where the Waltons started. Any of y'all watch the Waltons? There's a little town in the middle of the hills of Virginia where, where the, little, the, the whole thing was based. And we thought, man, I grew up watching the Waltons. Let's go, let's go see what this little town looks like. They, Ike God sees little general stores there. It's, it's kind of cool. Anyway, we were coming down this dirt road trying to get on the highway. And, you know, it's all windy roads in Virginia. And it's four lanes. And there's a big median in the middle with trees through it. So you can't see the other two lanes. Well, we were, walk, we were driving down um, at the end of this road, and, and right before we got to the stop sign, about to turn on to this, this busy road, we saw someone parked on the side there. It looked like they were changing a tire or they're doing something. Um, but Tara and I looked, and we're like, what are they doing? What's going on? We kind of got all caught up in their business for a second. But we got to the stop sign. We thought, huh, looks like they're, they're okay. We're just going to go. So blinker over here, turning left, get going left, and we're eighth of a mile down the road. Honk, honk, honk. That's weird. It sounded like they were honking at us. But when you're going 65 miles an hour, you don't hear honks very well, right? And, and then we hear, uh, we, we see someone coming, and they're doing this number, like, you know, when someone's over, like, the steering wheel doing this, like, ah, like, like this, and they're like, what are you doing? And, and then we see a person coming at us, but then they kind of swerve and get over in the traffic. We're like, ooh, that was a close call. Don't pass someone like that, buddy, you know? And then immediately, like, at the same exact second, we said, we're in the wrong lane, we were going two lanes here, two lanes here, and because of the median and the trees, we didn't see it, so we turned straight into oncoming traffic. And we're turning those Virginia turns, and we immediately, and there was a little break in the median, and we got back going the right side, and we thought, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. Like, we could have died. We could have died. You see, that's obvious to us. But in God's economy, he's saying there is a path of hate. Cain was on it, of jealousy that led to hate, that led to murder, that led to death. And there is a path of God, and it is narrow. And you do not try to stay on this road but change lanes once in a while into oncoming traffic unless you want a crazy collision. You need to know that when the, when the world, when your coworkers, when your friends, when your family, when they hear you say, oh, I don't really like what Crosspoint's doing for no good reason. You just kind of grumble. I don't really like what my other church you're part of 
is doing. Yeah, yeah, just, uh, sometimes I question the leaders, and sometimes, but you don't ever talk to the leaders about it. You just complain. When they hear you gossip, when they hear you slander, when they hear you fill in the blank, the world says, <laughs> keep on hating each other. Keep on complaining about each other. Keep on fighting on hills that don't matter. Because when you do, your message loses all the credibility it had. Because you can't tell me about a message of love if you don't love one another. And sometimes I wonder, we're more known for griping against each other than loving one another. You got to check your heart. Verse 14. And 15, John says, Now we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. And whoever does not love abides or remains, lives in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding or living, remaining in him. Third thing we see is that love is a sign of life, spiritual life. Love is a sign of life. Now, you can love your neighbor and not really be a Christian, but you can't really be a Christian and not love your neighbor, right? And if you love your neighbor, but you're not really a Christian, it's going to be a lot like uh, a flower that's cut off at the roots. (laughs) might look good at first, but it's dying. It's a different kind of love. But love is a sign of life. He says, we know. You want to be sure? You want to be sure? You want to know that we have passed out of death into life. So we've been spiritually born again, right? Jesus says this in John 3, that you've got to be born again. The word past, it is a Greek word that starts. It's um, meta, becca, common or something. But the first part, meta, means um, to be transformed, metamorphosis. And so if you want to know, if you want to know that you've been changed by God, that you have passed from death into life, then you can know because we love each other. But, but whoever does not abides or remains stays in death. You know that nobody, remember Matthew 5, 6, 7, he says, if you hate your brother. Jesus says, you, you've already murdered him. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life living in him. So it's just, it's just not in you. The Holy Spirit's not in you. Salvation's not in you if you're walking around hating people all the time. You see, to be spiritually born again can be proven by things, but it's not usually the stuff that we think, right? So for some... They just think they're spiritually born again when they're more spiritual. You know, you ever met just spiritual people? They just, they just, they're just, they just man, they talk to God and, and they, uh, they just sense God and they're just spiritual. You can be spiritual all day long and not be born again of Christ. Um, to be born again of Christ doesn't necessarily mean that you're incredibly disciplined. Like, yeah, that's good. But some think, you know, I'm the way I'm going to show, the way I'm going to prove, the way I'm going to know that I'm born again is that I'm disciplined. And there's people who are disciplined in all kinds of things that aren't good. But what John's saying is, you want to know that you've been born again? 
that you truly love your brothers, that you got something that has been running through the veins of Jesus, something that the world cannot manufacture, something that you can't fake, a real legitimate love for people that in your previous life you did not love. How many of us made fun of Christians before we were a Christian? Me? (laughs) How many people look at the church and say, oh, gosh, they're just so ignorant. They hate science. They're just all about faith. They're kind of weird. They sing weird songs. They do weird things. Now, some of that is church culture, and I'm not sure that we should love church culture. Some of it is kind of weird, let's be honest. But a true legitimate love for your brother, for your sister in the faith is a sign that you have passed from death to life. You're only going to love his church if you've been transformed by Jesus. Tara and I, we loved uh, in the desert, we loved cottonwood trees. When we lived in Utah and we traveled all over the Southwest, we, we would come to see cottonwood trees and love them. Because number one, mostly you don't see tall trees at all. And you see all kinds of signs of of death and things that are barely holding on to life. But if you see a cottonwood tree, you know what? You know, it's going to be on a riverbank of some sort. Even if the riverbank is dry, bone dry, there's going to be water. And in the desert, water means life. And so you might see from a distance a cottonwood tree, you say, oh, there's life. Even though a million other things around it are still living, when you see a cottonwood tree, you know there is water. And that is... When you're, when you're thirsty, that is life. In the same way, when you love each other, it's pointing to something deeper inside. You might have to dig a little bit, but it's pointing to a legitimate relationship with Christ. Now, how do we love our brothers and sisters? There's two things on the macro level and on the micro level. The first one on the macro level, big picture, is that you've got to be born again. You've got to have a new heart, as Ezekiel says, the promise of this new covenant, a brand new heart, a heart that desires to seek God, to love God, and to love one another. Again, you can't split the, the love of God from the love of people because God loves people. If you love God, you love what God loves. And so this new heart wants to love. The second thing, though, on a very practical level, on a micro level, when we talk about living in this, is what do you abide in? What do you live in daily? In other words, you can have a heart transplant, but not necessarily change the environment that that heart is in. And it's going to be hard for that heart to thrive. It's going to be hard. So some of us in this room, that we, 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 in general, Desire to love people, but we're just having a hard time on a daily basis actually loving the people we're around. Anyone been there before? And so I say, who and what are you putting around yourself? Things that point to life? Things that that help you and encourage you to love people? This is everything from what you listen to, to what you read, to, to what you hear. I mean, godly people who when you're around them man they 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 help change your mind that you find yourself in repentance just hearing them talk and you're like this is this is awesome this is encouraging this is refreshing i was um discipling this young professional i just got out of college got his first real job and he was telling me uh we would meet together and he was telling me that he had a hard time um being nice and treating his coworkers well well as i was talking to him 
week after week, I was like, man, he was a big old boy, like six foot six, and he was just a big boy, but he was gentle, man. He was a gentle giant. I'm like, dude, you're so kind. As I'm talking to you every week, you're so kind. I have a hard time. Like, I know you wouldn't hurt a, a flea, a fly. What are you talking about that you're mean to your coworkers? Where's this coming from? And I couldn't figure it out. Because in general, I knew this dude. He said, man, I, I profess Jesus as Lord. And he said, I want to love these people, but I'm having a hard time. I said, okay, man, let, let's just talk about your life. Um, and are you in the Word? Yeah, I'm in the Word. Uh, you, you know, you're in the church, man. I know you're around people who encourage you. Okay, right. Um, how about this, man? What, what do you, what's your drive to work like? It was like a 25-minute drive each way. Oh, I just listen to music. What kind of, what kind of music do you listen to? Oh, you know, I love it. Man, it gets me all fired up. What kind of music you listen to? Well, Five Finger Death Punch. Five Finger what, 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 punch? Five Finger Death Punch. Now, I've been so far from cool for so long that I wouldn't know what that meant. But I went online. I took a little look. Listened to some Five Finger Death Punch. And I'm thinking, <laughs> you ain't going to love anyone <laughs> when you're rocking five-finger death punch on your way to work. Like it all made sense. You see, that's like going down and having heart surgery, and you leave, and the doctor gives you instructions about your diet and exercise, and you just say, nah, I'm going to eat the same junk I do every day, and I'm not going to exercise. And you say, your heart in that environment is not going to do very well. And some of us want to love others. And on a macro level, we have the new heart in Christ. On a micro level, we haven't changed the things we're putting into us. And therefore, the right things are not coming out of us. On a daily level, on a daily basis. And I'll say this before we move on. Some of you, you're in places that, that you can't change who's around you. You're around negative folks at work. You're around whatever. Listen, it's true. In some cases, maybe you can't change realistically who you're around, but you can change what you focus on. In the midst of the chaos, you can change who's got your attention. So check your spiritual diet, your spiritual exercise, and change it if it's not a conducive environment to this new heart. And you might find that you're able to love people a little bit more. 1 John 3.16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Fourth thing we see is that love is a noun. What's a noun for all those who have been through third grade English, first grade English? I don't know what, when they teach it to kids now. What's a noun? Devin, you're smart. Yes. A person, place, or thing, right? So love is a person, just like truth is a person. It's Jesus. We're not just seeking doctrines in truth. No, we're seeking Jesus. We're not just seeking emotions or feelings when we talk about love. We're seeking Jesus. You want to know about love? Don't listen to your grandma tell you love stories about what, what she did when she fell in love with her husband 50 years ago. No, you, you, you seek Jesus, Jesus is love. It said, again, by this we know. This whole book is about assurance. He's trying to encourage these Christians. We know love. So here, here's the word love, right? That he, 
So he and love are one and the same. He and love are one and the same, and that's Jesus. And then we see, of course, the example of love that he laid down his life for us, so he died for us, and that we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But here's the thing. You can't do love until you know love. And you might try, but like I said earlier, it's going to be like a flower cut off at the root. It's going to be hollow. It's going to be dying. How many of you have tried to love for very long when, when your relationship with God isn't right? <laughs> it's going to be a hollow love. It's going to be a depressing love. It's going to sink deeper and deeper into misery. And you're going to say, I do love you. I just don't feel it that much anymore. Because when you're not around love, as in Jesus, it's going to be hard to ever love like Jesus. John said, you got to practice the greatest commandment before you practice the second greatest. (laughs) To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. You've got to practice the first before the second. So why does it matter? The, that love is a noun. That love is a person. Because, number one, when we see the command to love in the context that God is love, then what you're giving, what you're doing, is not just a subjective emotional feeling, a conditional feeling, but what you're really giving people, it isn't just a feeling, it's not just a good deed, what you're giving people is God. There's no more loving thing to do than to give someone God. And so when we love, we're we're giving love, we're giving Jesus to people, we're not just doing nice things for people, We're introducing him to the one who is love. (laughs) That's important. When you fall in love with someone, you're saying we're entering into this emotional feeling, this commitment together. But biblical love is that you're you're giving them as much as one human can to another. We're giving you the source of love, not just the feelings of love. We're giving you Jesus. Think about it. If love wasn't a noun, how many of us would ever feel secure? that we could ever stand before God or anyone else that we were actually fulfilling the command to love one another? How many times have you ever felt like, oh yeah, I got this down. <laughs> I'm so good at loving the church. Oh, if Jesus came back right now, he would be so pleased with me. How, how often and by whose standards could we say that like we are loving each other well? Because as far as the, love, the world knows love, it's subjective based on, meaning it changes based on the giver and the receiver. You can love someone all day long, but according to worldly standards, if they don't receive that love, it don't matter much. And if someone receives it, but you don't want to give it, it don't matter much. How do you know that you're loving well? You're giving them Jesus. You're giving them Jesus. That's how you can feel secure that you're loving someone well is that when we say, church, love this city, that we're not just doing nice things for each other. We're telling, we're telling people about Jesus. Listen, it's been, it's been good this week. Joey, he's hiding back there somewhere. Um, it's been good having him in the office, getting to know him and his family, and it's just, it's just good to uh, be able to encourage each other. But anytime you bring someone new into your culture, your environment, it kind of makes you do some self-reflection. Right? You ever been there before? When you have to teach someone or train someone a little bit, um, you start to realize, huh, 
I wonder what it's like for them to come in from the outside and to see what's going on here with a, with a fresh eye. And for me, I know, um, like, I, I use that as a, an opportunity for some self-awareness and some personal growth and sanctification. I want to know. I wonder what. Not like super insecure, just in a healthy way. I wonder what I come across as. I'm the campus pastor. This young man's coming here. His idea, understanding of Crosspoint, a lot of it is coming through the lens of our three-hour, you know, sit-down meeting another day. Here's this and this and that and that. And my behavior and, re- and interactions with him even in the last week. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Sometimes, um, and there's no, no specific incident that I'm referring to here, but sometimes I hear myself speak and I just think, I'm like the least pastorally pastor that there is. Like I just, I just don't come across as like a super friendly, gentle, sweet little like let me rub your shoulders and lead you to Jesus at the same time kind of a guy. And I've felt odd about that for years because I feel like, you know, when you think of pastor and shepherd, you got the little old grandpa who's been leading faithfully for 50 years. And when you talk to him, he's just like, oh, yes, young man, come here and let me welcome you into the flock and let me take care of you and help you. And they're just so gentle and nice. You could never say that they weren't. You're just like, gosh, you're amazing. You're the perfect grandpa and you're the perfect leader and you're perfect everything. And then there's me. And I, I just see, like, like I, I, sometimes I'm stone-faced, and when I talk to people, like, I don't just ooze friendliness. And when people hear me speak, they're like, hey, he's aggressive. And like, he, man, he come, but, like, I just don't make people feel warm inside. I'll be honest, over the years, sometimes I've found myself wondering, like, okay, God, there's things that if I'm, if I'm not gentle, if I'm not kind, like, there are some biblical things that maybe I need to repent of and let him search and sift my heart to make sure that I am meeting those qualifications because I want that. But then there's part of it that's just my personality. And, some of, and if we're talking things that aren't sin, then it's just me coming to terms with how God designed me and realizing there's good to it and there's not so good to it and you need other people around to balance you out. But here's the thing that I've always kind of hung my hat on when, when I've had times where I've just talked to the Lord about this and said, how do I know that I'm loving these people well? And he's reminded me over and over, Ryan, are you giving them Jesus? Are you giving them Jesus? Not just are you acting in a loving way to them, even though that is important, but are you giving them love? Are you giving them the source of love? Oh, and I got to fire my belly to make sure the people around me know Jesus. Let me ask you this. In your life, you might be loving towards your wife, towards your kids, towards your friends, towards your family, to your coworkers, but are you giving them Jesus? Do your kids know how to talk to the Lord? Does your spouse, have they ever been discipled by you? Have, have you do you talk about the Lord? Do your friends know anything about Jesus, even though maybe you've been around them for years and they know you're a Christian and you go to church? Because biblical loving one another means that you don't just do loving things, you give them love. And that's Jesus. Love is a noun. And last but not least, verses 17 and 18. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need... 
yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Last but not least, love is also a verb. So it's a noun, but it's also a verb. Again, third grade English students or Devon, what's a verb? No, that's a noun. It's an action word, right? So person, place, or thing. So Jesus is love. He is the noun, but love is also a verb. It's a noun that compels us to action. He says, if you, if anyone in this room, if you have the world's goods, like if you have the means, if God has blessed you, and if you live in America, God has blessed you, amen, and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love live in you? Because if God's love is in you, it's going to open your heart towards the brother in need. And it says, if you close your heart, How in the world does God's love live in you? Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. In other words, let's not just say with lip service that we love God. We're going to show it. We're going to show it. It's easy. In the verse prior to this, verse 16 said, we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How many of us would say we'd lay down our lives for those around us? Many of us might say that. Hopefully it doesn't come to that. But very few For very few, it comes to that. For most of us, though, we're not called, like in this moment, to lay down our life for one another because there's not the opportunity. But how about just helping one another? How about just just serving one another? I asked you at the very beginning how, how you feel like you're doing when it comes to loving one another. It's been said before that, in general, loving everybody is sometimes the biggest excuse for serving nobody. Loving everybody, saying, yeah, I love people. Yeah, I love the church. And then this Bible study ends in four minutes, and you walk out, and you just go back to your life. You don't serve anybody. <laughs> you don't help anybody. People got financial needs. You, you just go the other way. You say, oh, I'll go to grow group. But is your, is your, is your grow group serving anybody? Are they tangibly loving anybody? And if not, you've got to be the one to spur that on. You say, well, Ryan, you don't understand. Because I see the guy holding the sign in Peach Obama over the I-35 up until a few months ago. Like he's been, yeah, like people uh, standing around by the quick shop. They say they need help, a little money. I don't give to the beggars anymore because one time I gave to them and they went and bought some liquor and I just, oh, I'm so sick and tired of people abusing it when God's people do something nice. Listen, listen, listen. When Peter asked Jesus, someone sins against me, how many times shall I forgive them? Up to seven? Thinking he is somebody. He says, no. Jesus says, what? Seven times 70. In other words, it's endless. And yet the church has been able to, many of us, we one time did something nice for someone, but we saw it didn't go well. The conditions around it, it wasn't received well or it was abused. And so then we we do this. We think that it's okay with God. We justify not serving and loving people for the rest of our lives by, by putting ourselves away and saying, you know what? I gave and it was abused. So now I'm going to be a good steward and just not serve them anymore. 
and we've justified a life of not serving and loving and giving and helping by saying, because I got abused one time. And God's saying, you know what? <laughs> you ain't gonna, you ain't gonna serve him because you got abused someone. You do know that I had my son hanging on a cross while you spit on his face, right? While you beat him, right? What, what greater example of offering love and getting rejected is there than the cross? And yet he still died, didn't he? Well, I just, you know, I don't want him to buy liquor with the money I give him. Well, buy him a sandwich. <laughs> Come on, church. Stop making excuses for not loving people because you got hurt one time. And don't even act like they were sinning against you. They're sinning against God. The world has a selfish, subjective love, meaning it's self-serving and it changes with the conditions and the emotions. But you and I, you and I, we love each other because we have a selfless, objective love. A love that is not of ourselves. It is of the God who died for us and lives in us. And it does not change because you can't change the cross. You can't change the empty tomb. And you can't change your own salvation when you are in Christ Jesus. And so your love for one another doesn't change because someone gossiped about you four years ago. It doesn't change because someone did you wrong a couple days ago. It doesn't change because, well, they're not going to earn it. The people around you in this room, they ain't never going to be able to earn your love. They ain't going to deserve your love. It ain't even going to be easy to love them. But it don't change. They better receive your love because your love is not based on them or what they have done to you or for you or how they even receive it. It's based on what Jesus did to you, for you, and how you received it. Somebody could say amen once in a while. Just help a brother out. Help a brother out. John Piper said, he said that love is the overflow of joy in God that gladly meets the needs of others. You want to know how you love your brothers and sisters? You focus on love, not just loving them in deeds, but you focus on Jesus. And out of that, when you delight in him, when you are devoted to him, when your affections for him are so stirred up, you can't put a lid on it. You can't stop it. You ain't going to want to try justifying not doing it. It's just going to happen. You're going to live a life of love because you are overwhelmed by love. Let me ask you as we wrap this up tonight. Knowing that we've got an objective love. It don't change because Jesus don't change. He changes us, but he don't change. Is there someone in your life that maybe you have, um, you've given up on? Maybe they did you wrong. They didn't receive your love very well. They abused it. So you prayed for them a while, but then you stopped even praying. You certainly don't serve them. You don't have much hope in them. Maybe God's trying to resurrect something for his glory, that he could redeem a situation. Maybe you stopped pouring into your marriage. Maybe you stopped pouring into your coworkers, your neighbors, family who caused drama. What's God telling you tonight? Don't let yourself 
please, church, don't let yourself justify not loving them. Because we are loved. We are accepted in Christ. And so we don't reject others. Let's pray.